Hello and welcome to episode number 67 of The Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and with me as always is Tony Pauline, and we're now past the halfway point in our 2019 NFL Draft Reviews with four divisions in the books. We'll move on to the AFC South today with the two best teams from the division last year, the Texans and the Colts. Yeah, and the Texans, I think a team that has been struggling for a number of years now to get over the hump, and the Colts, who I think are about to get over the hump with what they did this uh, offseason. And now the Texans were left in the lurch at pick 23 after the Eagles traded up one spot ahead of them to pick number 22 with the Ravens to grab offensive tackle Andre Dillard, who it was widely assumed that Houston was going to target thanks to their need along the offensive line. The Texans did pivot over to Alabama State offensive tackle Titus Howard, an athletic lineman who dominated small school competition, looked like he fit right in with a higher level of competition at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. He's experienced at both tackle spots. He's played some guard as well, but he needs to get stronger. He's got to improve his hand placement, uh, just kind of develop a little bit further to truly hit his ceiling, which is definitely a high ceiling. But again, I think they were expecting Dillard to fall to this spot when he didn't. I don't want to say that they panicked and took Howard, but it really does appear that they were focused in on Dillard there. And as a result, it's hard not to be somewhat disappointed in this pick just based solely on the value of it. Well, yeah, and I had reported that there was a possibility they would trade up to get Andre Dillard. They didn't. You know, it's amazing. You know, Titus Howard's a good player. Whether he lines up a left tackle or right tackle remains to be seen. I think there's going to be sort of a time period where he has to get adjusted to playing in the NFL. But he's an outstanding player. And isn't it ironic? I mean, you were with me at the Senior Bowl. There was four snaps in a row where he went against Montez Sweat. And he beat Montez Sweat the first three, really stoned them. And then Sweat got the better of him on that last snap, which everybody remembers. And sure enough, Titus Howard is selected before Montez Sweat. Now, that may be a little bit exaggerated because of all the rumors and the talk about the heart condition, the pre-existing heart condition with Montez Sweat. This is, you know, Titus Howard, I think they've had some success with the smaller school uh, offensive lineman like Julian Davenport. I think Howard's a guy that's got a great amount of upside. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes him to break in with the first team. Now, Houston had three picks on the second day of the draft. They grabbed Kentucky cornerback Lonnie Johnson and Northern Illinois offensive tackle Max Sharping in round two and San Diego State tight end Cahal Waring in round three. Now, I really like Johnson as a player. He's a former receiver who switched to corner when he was playing at junior college. His coach actually ran a switch drill, which just meant that every player switched sides of the ball. So receivers played corner, offensive linemen played defensive line, etc. Lonnie Johnson played cornerback for five minutes. His coach saw him play and said, you're not going back to receiver. Now, Johnson has great length, moves extremely well, but he is somewhat raw. Obviously, is someone who hasn't played the position at a high level for more than a couple years. Does need to be coached up, but has great upside. Sharping went sooner than most expected, but just like Howard, he can play tackle and guard. Does need to get stronger, but either him or Howard could be Houston's long-term left tackle. And it's possible that they might have solved some of their offensive line woes, even if the value on either pick wasn't great. Now, Waring is a guy with a ton of upside. He can win in the air. He's athletic enough to create separation on the ground. He has the size to be a good blocker as well. If he's developed properly, I think he can be a very good NFL tight end. Tony, how'd Houston do on day two in your eyes? Yeah, all these guys have tremendous upside. I think it may take them a while to uh, reach that upside, and there are no guarantees. But Lonnie Johnson, he's got terrific size. He's shown developing ball skills. You know, as was reported before the uh, draft started, he was making a big move up boards. He's flashed ball skills. He's got the size. He's just got to put it together. 
Max Sharping, another really good athlete with outstanding size, moves incredibly well for a guy that's so big. I think he's going to be a very good left tackle in time or could even be a zone-blocking guard. That's where I had him graded coming into the season. Kalale Waring, as you said, I mean, does a little bit of everything well. Another athletic guy, shows the ability to stretch the seam and get down the field, catches the ball well, has to improve his blocking. It's not due to lack of effort. He gives it up when it's time for him to block. I think all of these guys could be very good starters down the road. But like first-round pick Titus Howard, I think it may take some time. And, you know, really early in their career, they may be more situational type guys. I really like the selection of Waring in round three because I think they fit a need with a real good prospect. I agree completely there. Now moving on to day three for Houston. The Texans didn't have a fourth-round pick, but they had one each in the final three rounds. They selected Texas defensive end Charles Amenahu in the fifth round, Central Michigan cornerback Xavier Crawford in the sixth, and Texas A&M fullback Cullen Gillespie in the seventh. Now, Amenahu doesn't really have the size to be a five technique if Houston's going to continue to line up in their 3-4 base scheme. Doesn't really hold up against the run well. Maybe Houston decides to use him standing up over tackle to kind of take advantage of the length and athleticism he brings to the field. But you also don't see too many 280-pound players doing that. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do with Omenahu, who's got length and athleticism. Now, Crawford went four rounds later than his teammate and fellow cornerback Sean Bunting. He's a bit small, but has 4-4-1 speed and good burst. He recognizes routes well in zone coverage and profiles as more of a fourth or fifth cornerback on the depth chart. While Gillespie is a fullback who is going to need to show well in camp to really make the Texans roster here. Any of these guys stand out to you, Tony? Well, in many of you, it'll be interesting. I thought he was better off in a four-man line. Although, you know, while Houston plays a 3-4, they basically use their stand-up linebacker as almost a fourth defensive end who just stands up over uh, tackle. He's a guy who's just got to get stronger. He's a hardworking guy. He's an adequate athlete. He's not great in any area, but he's very solid in all areas. So I think he's going to be a very good rotational guy. Xavier Crawford, I I think you're looking at him as a dime-back special teams player. He has a lot of upside as a, as a return specialist. He's got great speed, as you pointed out. Doesn't have the great size, but he's got solid ball skills. So I think you can use him as a dime back. He's just got to uh, perform well in special teams this summer. Gillespie, I think, is more of a throwaway pick. He's the kind of guy that really has to uh, stand on a special teams to have any chance of making a roster. Now, a few of the Texans' 20 undrafted free agents look like solid signings. Michigan's Karan Higdon is a power running back with out even average size. He's definitely small for a guy that plays that style. Struggles a bit as a receiver, but he's got good quickness and speed and could end up making the roster as depth. The Texans could use some depth at running back behind an aging Lamar Miller and Deontay Foreman, who may or may not be over his injury from last year. Albert Huggins backed up on the inside of Clemson's defensive line. He's an explosive three technique who might have been drafted if he played anywhere else and got more burn and more action. Oklahoma State wide receiver Tyron Johnson really broke out as a senior in 2018. He's a big play threat, ran a 4-3-6-40 at his pro day, but his jumps and agility drills were both poor, so he's strictly a linear deep threat and likely a practice squad prospect to develop here in Houston. Yeah, well, John Johnson was actually a junior, which is one of the things when he was not invited to the combine as a junior, that was kind of the death knell of his potential or his possibilities of being drafted. And he wasn't and fell out. I like Johnson. I think he's a terrific pass catcher, runs solid routes, catches the ball very well. They've got a lot of depth at the receiver position in Houston. It may be an uphill battle for him, but I think at the very worst, he's a practice squad type of guy. Albert Huggins, as you mentioned, again, I liked Albert Huggins as more of a three technique tackle. I don't know how he fits in Houston. I like his upside. 
Another guy who I think in the right situation could make an active roster. I just don't know that Houston's the right situation for him. Jesse Annenbaum of Maryland, who they also signed as a free agent. A guy who, off the 2016 film coming into 2017, was highly rated. A terrific edge rusher. Rebounded well this year. I thought he may have had a chance to slide into the late rounds. Obviously was signed as a free agent. You know, I think if they're looking for a backup pass rusher, a guy who stands up over tackle, keep an eye on Anabam, especially if he plays well over the summer. Now, the Texans got a lot of upside on the second day, as we talked about before. And Titus Howard also has plenty as well as their first round pick. But it is easy to quibble with some of the value on their early picks. Obviously, this is a team looking to win now, and they may not have drafted any player that's going to help them immediately to that level in 2019. Their third-day picks were a bit uninspiring. How would you grade the Houston draft as a whole, Tony? You know, I I think it's a solid effort by them. I think it's something, like you said, you know, they want to win now. And when you look at these picks, it may take them a while. I thought Tadis Howard was selected a little bit early. But Andre Diller was chosen the pick right before them after Philadelphia made that move. I think that really hurt them. I think this is one of those drafts that, you know, most drafts you want to really lay off and see what happens until two or three years down the road. I think you're going to have to do that with this draft. I can see some of these guys contributing as rookies, but I don't see any standout starters. Now, I'll gallop into Indianapolis in just a moment. But before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with us. Now, Indy traded out of round one to allow Washington to draft the aforementioned Montez Sweat, him of the epic battles with Titus Howard in Mobile. But the Colts did have three second-round picks and a third-rounder. They selected Temple cornerback Rakia Sin, TCU edge rusher Ben Benogu and Ohio State wide receiver Paris Campbell in round two. And they went with Stanford linebacker Bobby Okariki in the third round. Now, Yasin is a long corner with questionable long speed, kind of like the aforementioned Lonnie Johnson, really impressed at the senior ball, should play an immediate role in the Colts secondary. Benogu's a bit small to be a 4-3 defensive end, but at the very least, he's a situational rusher, showed off his explosive athleticism at the combine. Just don't ask him to play in space right away. Uh, Campbell is a guy who you are going to want to get in space, and he should play an immediate role for the Colts. Andrew Luck likes to throw short passes. Paris Campbell caught a lot of short passes at Ohio State, made a lot happen after the catch and turned those into big plays. A lot of people think that he's not able to win downfield despite the fact that he ran a 4-3-1 at the combine, but he really wasn't asked to do that at Ohio State. So if Campbell adds that to his game, he'll be a very dangerous player because he's a better route runner than he's given credit for commonly. Bobby Okariki was a fifth rounder on our board. He's a bit small, but he does have good speed, plays with intensity, shows coverage ability. So even though he might have been graded a bit lower on our board, I don't really think this is that bad of a fit for him in Indy in the third round. A lot going on here, obviously, Tony. What did you make of what the Colts did? Well, you know, trading back to get extra selections was an outstanding move. They considered trading back even further as the Jets really wanted to move up and grab that 34th pick. And the Jets wanted to move up. I had reported for Ben Benagu. Other reports said they wanted Rocky Asin, and the Colts came away with both of those players. So Rocky Asin is a terrific cornerback. He's got average size. He's got average speed, but he's got great instincts. He's feisty. He doesn't have mental lapses on the field. I think he's the smart player that Chris Ballard really wants. Ben Benagu, as you said, terrific at the senior ball, good combine. 
if you were with us uh, during the Pro Day reports, I had reported that people leaving the TCU Pro Day said that Benagu had uh, locked himself into the second round. He went right in the middle of round two. A little bit smaller, as you stated, but that's the way the uh, Colts like their pass rushers. They like them small, but quick and explosive and tough to stop. That's what Benagu wants. And the Colts got shut out of the pass rushers in free agency when they really wanted to sign Preston Smith. They lost out to Smith when the Green Bay Packers offered about a half a million dollars more. They did uh, sign Justin Houston after the Kansas City Chiefs cut him, but I, I think Benagu's going to be an outstanding addition. You know, Paris Campbell is a guy who has to transition his outstanding athleticism and amazing speed into full-time receiver skills. But he's going to have some breathing room because they're not going to need him, you know, to play immediately as a starter. He's going to be the third man, the third receiver behind T.Y. Hilton and Devin Funches. He's a guy who's got great vertical speed. He's someone who's going to help the uh, running game because of his ability to stretch the field. And I think uh, he's someone that Andrew Luck is really going to like because, you know, right now he is the top deep threat in the Indianapolis Colts offense. Bobby Okariki, again, a smaller defender, which is what the Indianapolis Colts like, but he's quick, he's explosive, covers a lot of area. You know, maybe they use him at middle linebacker. We'll have to wait and see, but he gets from point A to point B in a quick amount of time. Not just an up-the-field guy, but is outstanding in lateral pursuit. Again, a little earlier than we liked, but I, I think it's a good fit for the Colts. Now, the Colts started day three with a pair of safeties as their draft picks. Michigan State's Kyrie Willis in round four and USC's Marvell Tell in round five. Their second fifth rounder was Tarleton State linebacker EJ Speed. And they grabbed Mississippi State edge rusher Jerry Green in the sixth and Utah tackle Jackson Barton, along with Mississippi center Javon Patterson in the seventh. Now, both Willis and Tell are strong safety types on tape. But Tell tested very well in Indy, so there may be some more versatility to be coached out of him compared to Willis. Green is another situational rusher for the Colts here, but he's not really a linebacker, too small for a defensive end, but as you said, fits what the Colts like in their defense. Patterson has good strength in the middle of the line. He can play both guard and center, but in the end is best in a small area, as is Jackson Barton, despite the fact that he played on the left side for Utah. He should end up moving to the right side and will have a chance to develop on the practice squad for Indy. Yeah, I mean, I think Marvell Tell has some potential at free safety, although they've already got Malik Hooker there. If he can stay healthy, he's a terrific player. Carrie Willis uh, was was selected a little bit earlier than uh, I had him graded, primarily because he is a downhill-in-the-box type of safety. He does not have the same versatility that Marvell Tell has. Jerry Green, again, you know, a, a smaller edge rusher that can occasionally stand up over uh, tackle. Uh, so he's going to be a situational guy. I do like the selection of Javon Patterson a lot. You know, I know they got Ryan Kelly there, and they, you know, they obviously have Quentin Nelson at guard. They got Glowinski at guard. Patterson's a guy I think is going to be a terrific backup who could eventually develop into a starter. You know, depending on what happens with Glowinski down the road, he's obviously not going to unseat Ryan Kelly. But I like his game. I like his versatility. An inexpensive backup that could eventually develop into a starter. And post-draft signings for the Colts, Mississippi State cornerback Jamal Peters is the headliner of the group. Now, he's huge for a corner at 6'1 218 pounds, may end up moving inside to safety as a result. He's also not really great at staying with receivers in man coverage and had a knee issue that was likely the reason he ended up getting pushed out of the draft entirely. Ashton Doolin, the wide receiver from Malone, is an impressive athlete, a former track star who can get downfield. He creates after the catch. Very raw, though, so he'll be a lottery ticket on the practice squad. Penny Hart might be the same in terms of being a practice squad receiver. 
He outplayed Andy Isabella at the Senior Bowl, at least during practices, but he's very small, really has no catch radius, flunked his pro day workout. He can get open in the short field, but really is likely nothing more than an underneath option, which again fits what Andrew Luck and the Colts offense like to do, but he's probably a practice squad player if he doesn't end up making the roster. Anything pop to you among these guys or any of the other signings, Tony? Yeah, same. Penny Hart uh, flunked his pro day workouts, uh, an understatement. I mean, he was in the four sixes, which knocked him out of the draft. But the fact is this, if Penny Hart shows any ability as a punt returner this summer, I think he'll have an, a possibility to make the roster. You know, Doolin's a guy. I like Doolin's got a good amount of upside. We do have a scouting report on him at draftanalyst.com. You can check that out. I think he's a guy who will make a practice squad. I like Marquis Young of Massachusetts as a uh, someone who could maybe make it as a fifth running back if he shows well on special teams. There was one other guy that uh, stood out to me. Obviously, yeah, you talked about Marcus Peters. I mean, that, uh, Jamal Peters. I'm sorry. Someone who early on, you know, we thought could be a second day pick was okay in the postseason. Uh, really didn't run as fast as many people thought. Hit the combine. In fact, he disappointed the combine. But he's got the size, he's got the intensity and the attitude that I think you could use him as a zone corner or at least a safety. So they went heavy in safety with their draft picks. I think Peters offers that versatility at corner or safety. Now, the Colts did a lot of nice things in this draft, I thought. They got faster on both sides of the ball. They improved their defense. They gave Andrew Luck really an ideal type of weapon for him in Paris Campbell. Penny Hart, after the draft, is a similar weapon, but just obviously not the same level of talent as a guy like Paris Campbell. Tony, how would you grade what Chris Ballard did in this draft? You know, I thought with the draft and what he did in free agency, because you have to consider that here, I thought it was an outstanding, uh, outstanding effort. You got a starting cornerback in Rakyasin. You got a guy in Bembenaga who I think can help as a rookie, as a pass rusher. Paris Campbell's got tremendous upside. He's also going to help. Bobby Okariki, I think, will see play in situational downs this coming season. I mean, this is a team that, you know, was in the playoffs last year. And I think this, as well as what they did trading for Justin Houston, could throw the Indianapolis Colts over the top and really put them, if not in the Super Bowl, at least get them in a position to battle for the AFC title. And that's all for the 67th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back Tuesday with the rest of the AFC South, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And head over to draftanalyst.com as well to check out the scouting reports on players that your favorite team added on draft weekend and listen to our previous draft recaps. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll see you later.